morning. If you want to turn in your scriptures to the passage I'll be preaching from, it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And I just want to remind us and give us some context about why, why Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's favorite disciple. He starts out chapter 2 saying, my son, <laughs> such a term of endearment. And so Paul cared deeply for Timothy, and he reminds him of two things. He reminds him of his past, his genealogy of faith, his grandmother and mother who had vibrant relationships with the Lord. And then, Timoth- and then Paul encourages Timothy saying, and I know this faith dwells in you too. And so he reminds Timothy of his past, but he also reminds him of the power of God that is at work in and around him. And then he encourages Timothy and gives him some advice as any good fatherly figure would do and encourages him how to live in light of all he's been taught. And though Paul sits imprisoned at the end of his life, his hope and calling remain unshaken. Even though the end doesn't look good, it doesn't matter to him because he knows the ultimate destiny. He knows how the story ends. He says, He says this in verse 12 of chapter 1, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And so Paul is unshaken by the suffering that he's experiencing because he knows Jesus, the one who suffered for us, and because he knows the hope of the gospel. And we can take comfort in the fact that wherever we're at in the story, that we know the one who has suffered with and for us, and we know the hope to which we are called that is unshakable and cannot be taken away from us no matter what we experience in this life. And so if you get nothing from this sermon but this one sentence, hear this. Be strong to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Church, Trinity Anglican Church, be strong as you share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so to outline the passage, Paul first says, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He gives him some practical advice in verse two and says, what you heard from me, entrust to faithful people who will teach others. Spread the word, disciple, train others who will then train others as we start this kingdom movement. And then he says this, join me in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. And then he gives three illustrations. Verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs since his aim is to please his commanding officer. Second, an athlete doesn't win unless they compete according to the rules. And then third, the farmer has to work hard before they receive the harvest. And so using the illustrations of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, Paul tells Timothy, this is hard work, but it's worth it. (laughs) And so don't give up. Keep at it. Put your whole heart into this, difficult as it is. And then he says this, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you understanding. There are two key words that stand out in the the first half of this letter to the second letter to Timothy. Be strong and join with me in suffering. He says in verse one, you then, my son, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. And he says, secondly, in verse three, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And here's what makes these key words is that they are both used in chapter one, verse eight. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. 
Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so you heard about this last week as Tim preached on it, but what he's doing here is he's fleshing this out for Timothy. What, is it, what does it look like to join him in suffering as Paul sits enchained in prison? What does it look like for Timothy to join him in suffering in the strength and power of God? And so first, be strong. The Greek word is endunamao. It's where we get our word dynamite, power. Be strong in the Lord. Paul says to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. People of God, we need to know this power of the Spirit of God in our day and age. The church often has chosen easier routes, taken the easy way out sometimes, But as we cling to the gospel, we experience the power of God in our lives. What kind of power is this? Chapter 1, verse 10, it's the power that has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We have the Holy Spirit living with us, the power and the love of God dwelling in these bodies of flesh. Spirit, come, empower your people, strengthen us to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And here's where power looks very different in the church than than what it looks like in the world. It's the power in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Power and grace. I don't know what you think about when you put those two words together, but I don't often think of them in juxtaposition. (laughs) Grace is like kindness. Grace is love. Grace is compassion. Power, well, that just seems like a whole nother world. But in Christ, very God of very God who became human, power and grace come together. Jesus doesn't hold us at arm's length in our weakness, in our finitude, in our sin, in our fallenness, but, with, but laying aside the power of God and his powers as the God-man, he comes among us with a power that the world doesn't recognize as power. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Power and grace come together in Christ Jesus as he comes to walk and to suffer among us. And so power needs an outlet. What is the the outlet of this gospel power? It is to love others. It is to face our fears with courage. It is to stand firm in the face of temptation. It is power to suffer. The Lord knows all things. And when Tim planned this passage, he didn't know what would be coming um, in the Trinity family this week. But I believe that the Lord wants to speak to this community, that by the Holy Spirit, God gives us power to suffer, not to numb our hearts, not to check out, not to close off our hearts to each other because it just hurts too much to suffer with each other, to love each other, but rather to open our hearts to each other, especially 
when our neighbors and friends and family are in places of pain. This is the power of God, and this is the purpose of God's power in you and in me. I often receive comfort from the words of Larry Crabb, um, uh, now deceased Christian counselor, um, who said, if you're not checking out and numbing out on any substances, sins, or addictions, you are likely to feel bipolar. (laughs) I take great comfort in that, because sometimes I guess I feel bipolar. But that's the thing, is that if we live with our hearts open and unguarded before the Lord and before each other, we'll experience both incredible joys and incredible pain together, won't we? Those of you who know Kyle and Megan well, you're suffering right now because you care what happens to baby Ames. You know them, you love them, and your hearts are burdened with this, with this pain, with this fear. But it's because of your compassion. Brothers and sisters, that is the power of God in you opening your hearts to each other. We can't choose joy or pain. We can only choose to love and to feel, or we can choose to close off our hearts and to numb. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit upon us in great power in order that we might love. And so why do we suffer? We suffer because of the fall. We suffer because we rebelled against God in the garden. And just as God cursed the garden and the work of our hands, so Um, and and says that by, by the work of our hands, we will sweat and we will work through thorns and thistles and we'll have to weed to grow what is good, to produce fruit. And so Paul takes the image of a farmer and says that it's only through hard work tilling the ground that fruit will come, but that the farmer is worth it. The farmer, the work that the farmer puts in is worth the fruit that comes at the end of the harvest. Our work, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a counselor, whether you're a computer programmer, our work is fraught with difficulty and suffering. Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's, maybe it's that the work you do, you don't see what, you know, what eternal impact that it has. Our work is fraught with suffering. But the question is, will we endure? Will we seek the calling that the Lord has on our life, which is bigger than our job that we work in order to gain a paycheck for? Your calling, your vocation in this world to love God with all that you are, to love your neighbor as yourself in the midst of whatever work you do is your calling. And it's important that we pay attention to suffering in our lives because what breaks our hearts is undoubtedly related to the specific and unique calling that God has on your life. Each of us are unique. Each of us have unique stories, and what breaks your heart is probably the key to your calling. Suffering is always redemptive in the kingdom of God. I remember being in difficult places, beginning in my teenage years, beginning to struggle with depression and just crying out to God saying, God, why? Why does my heart hurt so much? Why does hope seem so far away? Why is life so difficult? Why do people reject me? Marty, an insecure middle schooler. (laughs) And I didn't hear an answer. But I think God's silence implied not his absence 
but rather his present, intent, listening to my broken middle school boy's heart. I did not get an answer to the why question, but you know what I did get? Is the experience of God's presence with me in pain. And that's what's unique about this passage, is that Paul isn't just calling Timothy to suffer because it builds character, (laughs) though it does. Paul is calling Timothy to join him in suffering. It's a unique word in Greek. It means literally together together to feel bad things. (laughs) Timothy, join me together in feeling bad things for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes this as he sits enchained in prison to his beloved son, Timothy. And he knows that Timothy is facing his own hardships as he's planting churches and discipling people and equipping them to teach the gospel and to further this gospel movement. But we need to hear, hear this word in 21st century individualistic America. Because our choice in this life is not to suffer or not to suffer. We will all suffer. The question is how we will suffer. And the temptation too often in our culture when we hurt is to close off and wall off our hearts and tell everyone we're doing fine when we're not. But Trinity family, you know well how to suffer together. I can say that because we've seen it. As we've been on this church planting journey, it's certainly had its ups and downs. It's had its difficult points already, and we haven't even launched yet. (laughs) But it's many of you who have walked with us on our board, our personal advisory board, as we've just navigated confusing, dark, difficult seasons sometimes of questioning. We thought the Lord had called us to this, but there doesn't seem to be much fruit being born. It's many of you who have walked with us and encouraged us, many of you who I've been able to call in seasons of questioning and doubt and to just pour out my heart to you. And I've received good brotherly and fatherly advice and motherly advice in some cases from many of you, saying if the Lord has called you, don't give up. And many of you have shared with me how how you have had to suffer in this life. And you have helped me to see what you've learned from it, how the Lord has matured you through it, and how the Lord has brought redemption through your suffering. It is not needless, though it may seem so in the moment. But God doesn't waste any tears, but uses every hurt that we experience to form and fashion us into sons and daughters who love and trust our Father, who have put our hope in the gospel that at the end of, end of the workday, the farmer gets what he's worked for. That life and immortality have come through Christ, and because of his resurrection, we have hope, no matter what we go through in this life. Sociologist Christian Smith, in his 2005 book, Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, identified three common beliefs of American teenagers. The first was morality. Teenagers in 2005 believed that a God exists who wants us to be good, nice, and fair to each other, and that it is the good people who will go to heaven when they die. 
moralism. Second, he found that uh, their beliefs were therapeutic, that the central goal of life, they believed, is to be happy and to feel good about ourselves. And third, deism was a belief that they held, that a God exists who created and watches over the world, but is not particularly involved in our lives. And since this book was written in 2005, the phrase moral therapeutic deism has become a buzzword in Christian circles because this is what many American Christians believe, that we need to be good people who are nice to each other, that life is about how I feel, and that, yeah, there's a God out there somewhere, and gosh, I wish he would intervene because it's a mess. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, this is not the gospel. God is not a distant being who set the world and the universe in motion and then stepped away and let us hash it out, who wants us to be good, fair, and nice people so that we'll go to heaven when we die, and who cares most of all about how we feel. A youth pastor told me when I was going through that dark season of depression that God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. That was hard for me to hear in that season of suffering. But looking back now, 20 plus years later, I see how the Lord has cultivated a trust in my Father, even in the midst of suffering. And that is more valuable than my comfort. The gospel of Scripture is a call to boldly suffer with what is inevitable in this life, with an intimately present Savior who calls us to die to our fallen sinful selves in order to experience eternal life in relationship with him. The God of all power who spoke everything into being that is, sure as the ground and the bench under your feet. This God took on grace and took on human flesh and experienced everything it is to be human. Hunger, fatigue, Frustration, poverty, difficulty, death, ultimately the vulnerable death of himself, and then rose from the grave three days later that we might have hope. Our religion is not a religion of moral therapeutic therapeutic deism. Our religion is followers of Jesus is that we have an intimately present Savior who doesn't hold us at arm's length, but who embraces us in our fallen condition and takes our sin, our finitude upon himself so that he might die a sinner's death and be raised to life immortal to give us eternal life. And so the call is to suffer together. Paul says elsewhere in Philippians chapter three, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so in light of what's going on in this community, I wanna wanna take my application points and just throw them out. And I wanna just ask, what is the suffering in your life? that you are experiencing. Maybe you walk closely with the Stantons and your heart is breaking for what's going on with little baby Ames. 
Maybe it's something completely different, a job situation, loss of a relationship, whatever. Or maybe you're not in a place of suffering right now. If so, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. But I just want to ask you, as the Trinity family, what breaks your heart? What's breaking your heart right now? Don't run away from that. Lean into it. Share your broken heart with the Lord. Keep crying out in prayer and lean into relationships with each other. You have been a picture to us of what it looks like to be a community with open arms, saying it's okay to, it's okay to not be in a great place. It's okay to hurt because there is love here and there is hope here because of the resurrection of Jesus. And Trinity family, I mostly want to say to you that you are a picture of that for us. I don't know why I'm preaching this to you, because you have lived it toward us, and we are so grateful. And so continue to be strong, sharing in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you care about our broken hearts. Thank you that you know what it is to hunger, to thirst, to have a friend pass away. And thank you, Jesus, that in you is healing power to the point of life immortal. Jesus, you are the one who overcame death itself. And so we need not fear. We need not shy away from pain. But rather, all we have to do is lean into you and lean into each other as trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the comfort that comes as we suffer together with you and with each other will shape our hearts and make us compassionate people, people who can suffer with each other well, who can experience the redemption that comes through suffering because we know that death does not have the last word, but rather from the book of Revelation, Lord, that the day is coming certainly when you will wipe away every tear, when death and disease will be no more, and we will share eternity with you and with each other. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.